Deanie Talks. In this episode, I had the honour and privilege of sitting down with Sir Alton John. How's, how's the injury? I'm doing okay. I'm, uh, I started running now. Good. So, um, yeah. Are you in the UK? or? Uh, uh... Uh, yeah, I'm in Windsor. I've been here since last May. Uh, how have you found it? It's been great, to be honest with you, because I'm used to travelling, getting on a plane, not being in one place for five minutes uh, before I go somewhere else. Um, it was weird at first. Um, because we were in lockdown in California for two months before that. And then when I came back here with the boys and David, um, it was it was weird, but then we got used to it. And I actually had a great time. Spent so much time with the boys and David and got used to the house. And, and, and I've done quite a lot of work um, by not being able to go out. I've only been to the dentist, the doctors and the eye doctors, and that's it. So you still managed to uh, enjoy some family time. And I suppose with somebody like you, as you say, is always on the go, the, the family time is uh, priceless, right? I've never experienced so much time in my family ever. And it's been so rewarding. And I really, really appreciated it. Now, someone like you, who's had to go out and play football, it's been a different kettle of fish, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you had to go out amongst people who, you know, amongst the height of the virus. Um, and it must have been tough for you. Yeah, it was it was a little bit. Um, my son is is one years old. He he was born with breathing difficulties as well. So there was a lot of um, uncertainty around that when we didn't really know what was going on. There was a lot of um, I would call it scaremongering, and we didn't really know what to do and what was right for my family. But we're hopefully coming to the end of it now. Yeah, there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, um, as, as long as people don't get too stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but it's been so hard on people, especially people who. I haven't got the luxury of having a place like I live in um, mm. and living in an apartment or a high rise or just working from home. It's been really hard, I think, mentally on people. No, definitely. Do you worry about that with the kids? Because that's what I'm currently going for. My son hasn't, he's technically a COVID baby. He hasn't seen anybody. So I'm starting to worry about whether he will lose social skills of not meeting people. I think because he's only one year old, I mean, I think he'll be able to cope with that. But my kids are eight and ten, mm-hmm. and I think towards they went back to school about six weeks ago, or whenever they were allowed to go back to school, and they flew because they just missed their friends. They mm-hmm. they hadn't had any contact with people of their own age for since last March in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was tough on them, but they were terrific during the whole thing, and we spent a lot of time with them, and they did their schoolwork from home. Um, but I think. At the end, they were more or less tearing their hair out and really wanted to go back to school and see their friends. I think being a one-year-old, I think he'll be okay. Um, I'm sure you've given him a lot of love and attention, as you do with with young babies. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah um, for the first time, he, he got to see he got to see uh, soft daddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've coped really, really well. But it's been. So I think the hardest thing on people is not being able to see their loved ones, especially people who have been sick and mm. you know people haven't been able to visit their mums or their grandmothers or their children, and that's tough on anybody. Mm. And um, I, just as you say, hopefully we can get out of this situation now and uh, see a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm keeping my fingers crossed anyway. How does how how do you keep motivated? So like I see you, you've got you've lasted generations. Yeah. What still gets you getting up and going? I want to write music. I want to perform. What what is that? Well, I love music and I've always loved it as a kid. It's been my my friend since I was a little boy and football and sport. Um, uh, and I just, I'm so lucky to be able to do what I do. And I, I listen to a lot of new music and I've, I do a radio show every week for Apple. 
And it keeps me connected with young people, young artists. It beats making a record. It beats promoting a record. And, uh, but <laughs> having spent so much time now with the boys at home, that once I do finish the tour, I will take a long look at what I'm going to do in the future because I really can't do that much more. I've done it all with this farewell tour. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a huge success. And I would just... I, 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 once you get to my age, I'm 74. By the time I finish the tour, I'll be 76. Your priorities change, and you think, well, what do mm -hmm. I really do? I really want to go gallivanting around the world. I don't have to. I've done it. Uh, what's more important, my kids, my husband, my life, my family, or you know, I'll just have to take stock, and I will do. Um, but I will still be creating things. I'll still make records, and I'll still be involved in music and other things. But whether I want to keep going touring, I don't know. Um, I'll have to see about that. But uh, listen, I haven't got anything to complain about. <laughs> no, you're certainly uh, you're living the dream that you set out. And I think that's amazing. The reason I'm doing this podcast is to show people the other side of this this life that we all lead. We, we know we're privileged. We know we're in a, in a wonderful situation, but there's a lot of sacrifice that goes with that. And that's what I'm trying to show to people. And as you just said, you've missed out on a lot of years by traveling, mm -hmm. touring. And now it's great to see and listen to you say that you're going to enjoy that. And, you know, for me, I think that is, is perfect. You've hit the jackpot. Yeah, I have hit the jackpot and I'm really grateful for it. And, you know, during this time when I've been traveling, I've lost, missed a lot of Watford games and that really upsets me. Um, it's murder every weekend or midweek when we have a game. It's just, it, uh, <laughs> um, thing, things have picked up, thankfully, um, and we're much doing much better than we were at the beginning of the season. Um, little things like that. I mean, music and football have been my life, um, and now I have you know, a family, which I never thought I would do at one point, and that's the most important thing. And yes, to get where we are, you have to be dedicated. You have to overcome difficulties like you have personal difficulties mm -hmm. and that's why I really admire you because you went through a whole situation in your life where you found yourself at the bottom of barrel as I did and then you pick yourself up and you think what, what's the alternative am I going to be good am I going to have a life am I going to try and improve as a person or am I going to just be dross and uh, both you and I are that and similar we both I got really became addicted to drugs and alcohol I picked myself up you had a, a, a personal problem and mm -hmm. and and look what you've done. And it's quite amazing. You know, you just, it, it, it really, I really admire people like yourself that can do that um, in a situation that's not easy. Because as a footballer, you're, uh, you're in the spotlight all the time. I mean, especially now with social media. Mm. I mean, when I ran the club and I was the chairman long before you were born, probably, I was, uh, football has never had that intense uh, spotlight sh shone on them. And, I think what social media has done now is heightened um, the problems we have in Britain, not just, you know, mm -hmm. with race, racism, um, hostility. I, it really makes me angry. Um, it really, mm -hmm. really, you know, it, something has to be done. But people can't hide behind pseudonyms anymore. They can't hide behind their anonymity. Mm -hmm. If you're going to post something on social media, you have to name yourself. You otherwise, mm -hmm. something has to be done. People cannot an anonymously post hate anymore. Uh, or they shouldn't be allowed to. And they sh if they do, uh, they should put their name on their piece and they should be accountable for it because they're just cowards and they're, they're the bottom of the barrel as far as mm -hmm. human beings are concerned because they're basically cowards and they're, and they're bullies 
and, and they hide behind the fact that they can be horrible to someone and not have any accountability for it. It makes me crazy, not just with football, but all along social media. It's a toxic thing in our... Um, and I use social media to promote my, what I do, mm-hmm. but I, I think you will find footballers have been abused so badly and sportsmen in general by social media. It must drive you absolutely crazy, right? I totally agree with you. I think the... Um... I think the problem is now, where do we start? And and unfortunately, what social media does is it highlights people's anger, I feel. I feel like a lot of people are lashing out at footballers and stars and it's because of they're not happy with the current situation. They're not currently happy within themselves. And I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of work with therapy and you understand that you lash out based on not being happy with yourself. And mm-hmm. I think that's where we're getting to now. And I think people... I think we just need to try and be nicer to each other. Oh, I totally think we should be nicer to each other. But something really has to change. Something has to change. We can't mm-hmm. continue with this. Yeah, you feel that strongly about it. it? Unless something can be done. Unless certain measures. I mean, social media has great points, but it has awful mm-hmm. bad points. The bad points need to be eradicated so we can get on. Um, the hostility and the hiding behind the horrible things that people write has to be adju- has to be addressed, and it has to be addressed quickly because it's an ongoing situation. Football clubs now aren't going on social media for a week. Mm. The, the people who run these big companies have to sit up and take notice and say, "Listen, we should do something. We should try and address." And it's not just people who are angry; people who are jealous and people they mm. do it for fun. You find that people who do this kind of thing are so sort of affluent middle class people that just do it for fun. Yeah, and it's like, my God. And uh, anyway, let's ch- let's try and be a bit more positive, as you say, towards each other, mm-hmm. and a bit nicer towards each other. That that needs to change. And I think during the last two or three years, with the, with the global situation that we've had, mm-hmm. I think people uh, have been subject to a lot of hate mongering. No, definitely. And I think it it rubs off on you. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I think um, I think what you've just said there is hit perfectly on the head. And for people like myself, when when I can hear somebody of your of your stature saying speaking so passionately it makes me in the current meetings that i'm in with the premier league and the fa it makes me feel like i'm doing the right thing so i thank you very much for that it really you are you are doing the right thing and i back you up a million percent okay no i appreciate that now let's let's go on to some slightly better things some more (laughs) uplifting things right i've always wondered this what's it like to watch yourself somebody else playing you in a movie terrifying i mean (laughs) because i can't what i never watch myself on video i never watch a show i've done i never watch a tv show i've done because for years i've i just don't like to look at myself i just don't have a good body image kind of thing and it's been Mm. part of me ever since i was a kid when i saw rocket man and i I knew taron before rocket man because i was in um, the second kingsman movie so we'd met Mm -hmm. and i just it was very emotional for me to see someone who was so brilliant because it looked like me, it sounded like me, yet I had my mannerisms there. And it reminded me a lot of my life, of course, because I've led this ridiculous life. Um, and the sad parts with the family and everything like that with my dad and people, mm-hmm. you know, it was, I've just, I've got very emotional. Um, and I just thought he did the most incredible job. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I thought it was extraordinary what he did as far as acting, but he actually had to sing it as well. Um, and my songs aren't easy to sing, and he did the most wonderful job. So I was so happy. Um, so I can actually watch that movie and, and like it. It's very hard for me to watch anything about myself without just wanting to turn the telly off or the, <laughs> or the video machine off. But actually, that I loved. Is that, is that a little bit of like underlying insecurity in regard to that? Like, 
as you say, from a, a, young, a younger man. Yeah, it's in, insecurity, um, fear. Mm -hmm. That, you know, um, I think that in, was installed with me as a boy. Um, and I grew up in the 50s when discipline was so much more different. People were different. They, growing up after the war, I've come to terms with it now, as you said, with therapy and getting mm -hmm. sober. Um, and when your parents argue all the time, you just run into your room and, you know, I've always had a weight issue and I suppose I, I've always had a body conscious image of myself not being very good. And I think it takes a long time for you to to come to terms with that. I, I don't think I'll ever will come to terms with the body image thing, even though when I lost a lot of weight in 1978, and I was very, very thin, I was extremely thin, I thought I was too fat. And so oh, wow. it's a weird thing that goes into your head. So. Um, no, it's something that stays with you. Mm. I, and I work on it, and I worked on it really well, but it's, um, at least I can talk about it now. Before, I could never talk about it. I just, it's a, a subject, I was a sh it's shame. No, I think, I think, that's, I think that's incredible, because to me, you look, you look fantastic. You look really well. You always look healthy. Um, but that is, that is the thing I try and say on this podcast, is everybody's normal isn't normal. Yeah. So we we normalise the word, but we're not actually never normal, are we? And we've all got no. uh, baggage, shall we say? I've I was certainly yeah. certainly grew up in a household like yourself where um, you know beatings were regular. So I could totally see that. I still live in fear, and I project this image of a tough guy. But deep down, I just want to be loved and want to be hugged, and and, and that's all I want. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think. What happens to you as a child stays with you for the rest of your life. Um, mm -hmm. And you, you can either stay in the pity pot or just talk about it and get on with your life. And, and during lockdown, coming back to body, I've really gotten fit. I've, I've walked in the pool. I play tennis. I just wanted to come out the other side, not overweight. I'm feeling that when I go back on tour, I'm going to be the fittest I've ever been. Because um, you know, I, a lot of my... Shame comes from the way the the way I put on weight and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, and it's um, it's been with me all my life. And it's I go up and down like a bloody yo-yo, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's. But I'm I I I've really concentrated on, on that in during lockdown, and, and I've had a lot of help uh, from people in the house, um, and so also I'm a semi-diabetic. I'm type B diabetic, so I have to watch what I eat oh, because wow. I don't you know. But I'm I'm probably my f really fittest I've been in a long, long time, and I feel great. And um, and you, you know, there's no point in moaning about it. <laughs> no point in moaning about being overweight. Oh, you got to do something about it. And it's just starting the process and having to sit down with a doctor or a nutritionist and someone say, "How do I approach this? How do I do it?" And and I've had a lot of help in that in the recent months. And and I've really put pedal to the metal. I I walk in the swimming pool. Um, and uh, I've done a, um, 42 miles since the beginning of the year sideways. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's, I feel great for it. And it's like, you know, it's like you being injured. You probably hate being injured, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just, oh, blimey. It's like you want to feel back. You want to feel at your peak. Yeah. But I, it's all come down to, again, just what do you want for the rest of your life? I've got two kids that I want to see. I want to be around as much as possible for. So in that case, Elton, get yourself together, do what you're told, and um, and you'll see the benefits of it. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's great to hear. I think for everyone who will hear this, it's nice to hear that you'll go through the daily struggles that we are. We all have complexes. We all have issues. And, and it's great that you're doing something about it. I just wonder, do you still miss owning football clubs or are you happy with that stress going away? I think Watford Football Club for me, if I hadn't have had that, affiliation with the club and becoming chairman 
it was the other thing I had in my life other than music and it kept me mm. sane and it was one of the greatest highlights of my life. It's in my blood. I mean, there are times when we're doing badly and you get relegated in the start of this season when we weren't playing very good football and it was uninspiring. When you think, oh God, I wish I wasn't affiliated with Watford. I wish, it... but you can't. It's in your blood, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's part of me, and it's a part of me that I love and cherish, because um, I just it's not me that feels bad. I feel for the people at the club, the players, mm. and you look and you think, God, we could change this if we just do something like this. And I talk to the club regularly every week, and mm -hmm. uh, the owners and Scott and. Uh, and I talk about the players because I do I miss owning it. Well, I owned it in a time where you put money in for love, mm -hmm. and now it's it's changed where it's like millions and billions and stuff like that. Um, but I I'm still associated with the club. As I say, I call every week. The results are you know I like it when we play on a Friday because if we win, then like the weekend is fantastic. <laughs> um, but it's brought me so much pleasure the club, um, so much love and so much from the fans, everything. I, if I hadn't have had that, I'd probably gone mad. You know, my relationship with Graham was quite extraordinary. It was like Bernie Torpin was my lyricist and he came from Lincolnshire and we met through fate, by the way. Mm -hmm. And Graham, I remember sitting here at this table I'm talking to you now, interviewing Graham when he was manager of Lincoln City and he was going to be off the job at West Brom and we were in the fourth division and Lincoln had just won the fourth division championship and I had to persuade him to come to Watford. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did. And it, it was like we were Batman and Robin, like Bernie and I. And he came from Lincolnshire. So it's like, what is going on here? But no, I love being involved with the club. I'm glad that the Pozzo's on it now, because when you look at the club, at the stands, the dressing room, the facilities, when I took over, we had two old dilapidated stands. And mm -hmm. when I see the club now, I get quite emotional. And, you know, the fact that Watford Football Club was just a horrible little place with a dog track around it. Um, and now it is, is, is it got premiership standard facilities. It's something I'm proud of. And if you love something, you feel the pain of losing and the pain. You have to go with it. But it, sometimes mm -hmm. it's frustrating. But the joy, especially if we go up back to the, champion, uh, to the premiership this year, which I think we will, it's going to be tough because we've got some really tough games coming up. We've got Brentford mm -hmm. away, Norwich away, and the last game is Swansea at home. And so you just can't, you've got, you know, You've got to look at your results and say, right, just look on the next game and um, we just have to cut. But it, it's something that's in my blood and it's fantastic. If I hadn't have had the club, as I say, I wouldn't want to own it anymore, but I'm glad I'm involved and I'm honoured to have a stand named after me and I'm honoured to be life president because I, you know, the people at that club mean so much to me, you included. Oh, thank you very much. We all, we all appreciate you and I can't explain to you the buzz when we know you're coming and David yeah. and the boys. It's yeah. like, it just does something. It's like there's, it, it's, it's like God's coming uh, out <laughs> and the, the mystique that you have around the place and you touched on Graham and, and, and what I call him, Mr. Taylor and, and his, his wife obviously did wonderful things for the club. And for someone like myself who's trying to take it to the next level, it's so good having you alongside us because we, I don't think we can ever emulate what happened in your time period because it was well, such an, a big You can't emulate it because we've done it. We've gone from mm -hmm. fourth to the premiership or the first as it was there. We are a premiership club in standard wise. Uh, people will say we're a small club and maybe we are. But I don't, the thing I don't like about football is that the big clubs, you know, people say, well, they should just be the big clubs and people like Bournemouth and Brighton and Watford and Fulham. They're the lifeblood. I mean, if I didn't own this club, um, if I, 
I, if you said, what would you like to do if you want you weren't involved with Watford? I'd probably be interested in buying a non-league club and buying them and seeing what I could do with them because that's the grassroots of football, and that's where if you get rid of that, um, and it's not all about the Manchester Cities and the Barcelonas and the Bayern Munich. It's about the ground roots, grassroots level. Kids have to play somewhere, and they start mm-hmm. off. Um, if they don't play in an academy in a big club, they play in a um, at a you know someone like Jamie Vardy. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that. Um, and it's great to see people like we're going to come from non-league clubs or go and win the cup final. It's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. what football is all about. So if I did want to buy a football club now, and I'm not going to, but I would look at a non-league <laughs> club or a club in the fourth division or the second division, rather. Yeah, yeah, somebody you can grow and, and build with. Yeah. And as you as you say, it's it, it is about the, the 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 punters as we call them, the fans. It's it's that interaction, and they are what make clubs. And that's why I think Watford is such a great family club. You guys did a a wonderful job in making it a family club, and we're trying to continue moving that forward. Well, we've just won an award. I saw it in the Watford yeah. Observer, and that's great. And it's great that we keep in that. We did a lot for people with, with the NHS for the the hospital next door during the COVID situation. The club was brilliant, um, and I'm very proud of that. We've kept that kind of um, that aspect of the club alive, and it was very important because we instigated it, and uh, yeah. and other clubs copied us. But unless we continue to do that, um, then we lose the essence of what we've become. No, definitely. And we're actively working on that for next year and the years going forward. We we still want to keep the essence of what this great club is. And it, there's nothing better than come, walking out of your stand, coming out yeah. and knowing that that, that place is full. Yeah. And you, every time you go there, you see Graham Taylor statue as you walk in. We, we get changed in the Alton John stand, the Sir Alton John stand, yeah. I beg your pardon. Right. And, <laughs> and we know that you know, this is what it's about. You feel it from the second you walk in and that is, you know, is testimony to, to you and the great work you've done. Um, there were, Thank you. I, one more question I would like to ask you that is a little bit off topic. Is there a, is there an artist that you've never worked with that you've gone, oh, I wish I got to work with that guy? Well, I grew up uh, idolising black music and in, from America and rock and roll mm. music because there was no good music from Britain. We just copied what America was doing. <laughs> and so the people that I loved, I got to work with Aretha Franklin. Mm. I got to work with Ray Charles. I've been so lucky. I've got to work with John Lennon and, and, and so many people. I think one artist that's probably my favorite artist of all time is Nina Simone. And I love her so much and the way she played the piano, the way she sang. Um, I did actually appear with her at the last concert, which was at Carnegie Hall, and that was the last concert she ever did before she passed away. Um, there's something about that woman that just gives me goosebumps. And if I could have done something with her, that's the one person I would have loved to have done something with. And it wasn't possible, but at least I got to meet her and I looked after her with Paddy LaBelle and I were assigned to look after her during the concert. And it was <laughs> an absolute pleasure to look after someone who I thought was a genius. And so I would say, without doubt, it would be Nina Simone. So when you when you talk about the piano, do you still artistically look at people and the way they play? So for someone of my generation would be a, an Alicia Keys, for example. Of course. The way that she plays the piano. Do you do you look and go, oh, wow, that's inspiring. Does that still get you? Of course. Whenever you, The thing about doing a radio show once a week is that I get exposed to a lot of new artists who don't necessarily get played on Radio 1 or Spotify because they're not exactly pop artists but their music mm-hmm. is still fantastic people like laura and vula arlo parks celeste 
um, although Celeste has had you know probably more exposure. But I get to hear young artists, and when I do hear people, um, I just immediately contact them or try to interview them on the program. For example, there's a girl called Rina Sawayama who I'm crazy about, um, and I've done a single with her just as a result of contacting her. Khalid, I remember playing uh, the first Khalid record and meeting him, came to one of my shows in El Paso where he was living. And uh, it's great to see, and he, he hadn't had a hit at that point, and, and he'd become this huge artist. So you re one of the great things about being able to be me is that I can, by doing this radio show, um, I get exposed to so much new talent who I, I, I investigate and hopefully become friends with and help mm -hmm. them. Um, and it's the young that inspire me. And it's like when you see a great young player and you think, mm -hmm. blimey, I couldn't have done that when I was 18 or 19. When you see people like Billie Eilish doing things when she's 15 and 16, um, uh, it's quite extraordinary to see the talent that's around. And when you see somebody like a young footballer and you think, how, child, blimey, I couldn't have done that. And it's, don't you get, you get, you must get inspired by young players too, who've got that incredible talent. And yes, it just gives you, it fills you with enthusiasm, whether you're music or whether it's sport, you see a young tennis player, young, I mean, I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. I, mm -hmm. I always email him after the races and say, well done. He's, you know, it's so brilliant what he's achieved. And I hate people who knock him. He's, he's, he's just gold dust, Lewis Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Anthony Joshua is another one, you know, that I've been in contact with is a Watford boy. Um, and you want those people to do well because, you know, they've come from, they've had to fight hard like you have yeah. for where you've where you've gotten and i love that i love that and when you when you achieve what you've done like when you know you're one of watford's most iconic players and we bought you from warsaw right you bought me i bought you yeah yeah everyone doesn't know that that you did yeah. the uh the show that raised the money right yeah yeah exactly exactly yes and also you know i don't want this to sound too but you know thank you for all the pleasure that you've given me and countless oh, thousands of Watford supporters everywhere. Um, I never forget the day we beat Leicester. I'll never <laughs> forget that because I was somewhere and Leicester had just missed a penalty. Oh, they got a penalty. And I thought, oh, that's it. You know, I'm not going to swear on whether. <laughs> and then I turned my iPad off. I came out and then we'd scored. And it was like, oh, my God. And then I turned on the telly and Johnny Phillips, who was the commentator, was going nuts and um you know it was just one of the most memorable things that goal you scored must have stuck in your mind because you know the pass from hog the ball mm. over then hog knocked it down and then you whacked it in um it must have broken leicester's in his heart and all credit to them their story and their club mm. have done so brilliantly i admire them so much for what they've done but that point i mean i i thought oh shit, we've not gone up We've not done it. <laughs> We've not gone to the playoff finalist. Oh, yeah. um, and that was one of the most magical days. And you were responsible for that. You give them me and just take stock of how many memories you've given to people like me, boyhood fans of the club. Remember when we played in blue? That's how <laughs> old I am. So thank you for that and take stock of it because you've done a lot for me and and the thousands of fans that it'll mean memories that you know you never forget. No, I I massively appreciate that. I'm getting all like. What's the word? Giddy. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say when you talk about myself. So I'm like, ah. Uh, yeah, it's true. People have written you off so many times and you always bounce back. So I love that. I've hopefully got one more, one more of those. I've been written off this year. So I've got to make a big statement next year. I think so. And, um, you know, we need, your, we need your experience. We need your commitment. Um, when Watford 
when people think of Watford Football Club, um, they think of you. Um, and it's nice to see Chalabar playing uh, so well. And he's nicked the captain's armband, so you might have to get that back. Yeah, I think if you're going to keep him playing well, I might let him have it and just watch from the <laughs> side. <laughs> I'm doing it for the other guys now. Right. But that, that's what you just said there just actually hit something with me. And it's a little bit off topic, but when you, is there a song you can't get away from? You know, like with me, I've scored that goal. I've scored countless yeah. of goals, but yeah. it's always the Leicester goal that everyone yeah. talks about. Do you have a song that is like that? Um, I suppose it would be your song. And I don't mind not being able to get away from that mm. song. Um, because it's a really nice song and I never get fed up with singing it. I would think Crocodile Rock, um, the last time I have to sing that, I will probably throw a party, but people <laughs> people love to hear it. Um, and it was written as a kind of joke, as a pastiche, and it became a big hit. Um, and people love to sing along with it. So who am I to say I'm not going to play it? Because mm. I play to amuse, to amuse people and entertain people. But I have to say, when the last show is done, at the end of the tour, I will never, ever sing that song again. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> We've got some real quick fun ones just to, just to, have to end this because I appreciate your time. So, yeah, okay. If you had to pick your four favourite Watford players, it's okay to leave me out, that's fine. Who would they be? In any order. Jesus. Um, Luther. Mm-hmm. Ross, Ian Bolton, Tony Coton. There you go. That's your four. Yeah. And I could go on forever, but I mean, I'm about to four say, I, <laughs> yeah. I could feel you just like, no, yeah. I'm just going to stay to the four. There's no more. Yeah, right. If you had to work with two new artists, one yeah. deceased, one who's now, and you could make a song, who would it be? Well, I would send Nina Simone, but I'll choose another one who's deceased. Um, Amy Winehouse. Absolutely loved Amy Winehouse. And one now, um, The Weeknd. Oh, wow. What did you make to his performance at the Super Bowl? Fantastic. I'm such a huge fan. And uh, um, I'm going to see him. I'm going to LA um, for a couple of weeks. Um, oh, nice. I'm going to see him and... Uh, He's a giant of music and a giant of a man, and I love him. Yeah, he's he's doing so well in America, and I thought the uh, that that for me is what I, I like to understand from from an artistic point of view is the planning that goes into a show is is is, is immense, isn't it? Especially the Super Bowl, because I'm, I'm a big friend of Lady Gaga's, and when she did that, she had to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, and you don't really uh, have much time to get it together, and you have to get it dead right. Mm. And I think um, I think he got it right, and I think he did a different show, and it it focused on his personality and and his originality, um, like when Prince did it. Um, you know, you don't get many people around like the people should appreciate these people while they're here. And Weekend has got so much more work to do, and we'll, but I just love what he does, um, mm -hmm. and he's a really class act. Yeah, and and the final quick question is. You have to pick, they call it a Mount Rushmore of music. Who's your four faces? Four faces, God. Music. Woo, you are a horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> who are they going to be? Um, Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. Joni Mitchell. Um, Elvis Presley. Oh, God. 
It's so hard. Ray Charles. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And what we are doing, because we um, we know that people are giving up their time, is there a charity that you associate with that we could make a donation for me and my family as a as a thank you for giving up your time? Um, well, of course, we have the Elton John AIDS Foundation, but I would prefer if you donated it to uh, a children's charity or something like that. Okay? Okay. We totally appreciate you giving up this time again. It, it's it's great to see you. You're full of life, full of enthusiasm, and you're a, you're a, you're an idol to me. So thank you. Uh, well, listen, it was a no-brainer for me because, as I say, and before you give me so much pleasure, I idolise what you do for the club, um, and you've given me, you know, hours and hours and hours of yeah like that. <laughs> so um, good luck to you. I can't wait to see you back on the pitch, um, and I can't wait to see us back in the Premiership and you there with us. Okay. No, I appreciate that. You be safe. Say hello to David and the boys for me. I will. And the charity that we've chosen on behalf of Sir Alton John is Watford FC Community Sport and Education Trust. And you can find them at watfordfccsetrust.com. Thanks to Sir Alton and to you for listening. Please follow, rate and review. And join us again soon. Produced by The Podcast Company. Fadini Media.